Good morning. Good morning, River City. Good morning. It is so good to see everybody here this morning. <laughs> Thank you. For those who don't know me, my name is Antramika Knight, and I have the pleasure of welcoming you here to River City this morning. Um, here at River City, we start each service by reading from the lectionary. Specifically, we read one of the Psalms. Um, today's Psalm is 139. And what I enjoy about this Psalm of David, it kind of goes in reverse. Like, so the first part is going to be about how the Lord is with us now. And then it goes back to kind of before we were born. And it's so encouraging to know because a lot of times, People focus on the second half of what I'm going to read about how the Lord knew you in your mother's womb. But it's so encouraging to know that he is here now and he was there before. And it's a great reminder that he's Alpha and Omega. And it starts off by saying, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Verse 13, for you formed my inner parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were, writ in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they, were, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. If we can bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we just thank you that you know us today. You knew us yesterday. You will know us tomorrow. Thank you that you are here, that your works are numerous, that you search us, Father God, for what we want inside of us and the things that we don't. We thank you, God, for this Sunday in River City. Thank you for all of those here, those that are visiting. Lord, we continue to pray for our sisters and brothers, those who have to meet in secret, those who meet in public. We pray for all the Sunday services that are gathered today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the song before this one that echoed Psalm 139 said... Nothing is hidden from your sight. You don't miss a thing. And I just find it really interesting how as followers of Christ, we hold this tension that there is nothing God does not know. And yet we live in an incredibly broken world. So when we see things like Dorian, right? And we see what's happening in the Middle East and we see typhoons across the world, and we see ref pictures of refugees, and we observe racial tension. We hold that, and then we hold, you don't miss a thing. 
And the beauty about being followers of Christ is we don't need to reconcile those. That it's okay to not feel like you don't have the reason that both are true, but that you can prophesy of a new age, right? Where redemption and reconciliation will come to all things. And then you become the agent of that reconciliation. And you become the agent of that redemption. And you become the way new life happens in the world. And so as we go into prayers of the people, which is our language for intercessory prayer, as we go in and we say, God, you have filled us up. So now we turn our faces out and we begin to prophesy of what you have already put in us as truth. We go before God and we lift up the needs of our community and of our world and of the people in our lives. And we say, things are broken, but you still know us. Things are broken, but you still redeem. Both of those are true. And we're going to prophesy that today as we go in prayer. So if you'll pray with me for the universal church and all around the world, we try to weakly recognize God that we are not the one and only, that all over the world people are meeting and gathering and raising up the name of Christ. And so we partner with our brothers and our sisters above ground, beneath ground, meeting in houses, meeting in cathedrals, meeting in warehouses. And we say, yes, Lord, yes, be lifted high. Let your name go out to the farthest reaches of the earth. May your gospel be known and may it bring life. We pray for our nation and all those in authority. We commit to put our biases aside and humble ourselves to lift them before you. For who we agree with and who we disagree with, we raise the banner of Jesus above all else. And we say, Jesus, would you be known from the top down in our country? Will your kingdom move forth from the top down in our country? And will you give us language to navigate to the polarizing and toxic culture that we often find ourselves in? We pray, God, for the welfare of the world. I specifically want to lift up those who have been uh, reached by Dorian, the damage of that hurricane, the typhoon that moved over North Korea, left damage there for the unrest and the yearnings of the people of Hong Kong to find freedom for the unrest in the Middle East that continues. God, we, you have not forgotten the conflict there, so let us not forget. Does anyone else have something that is on their heart that they have read about this week that they are interceding for that you would like to lift up? anyone would lift up as 
far as the concerns of our local community and those in this place who suffer and are in trouble and those you know who might be dealing with sickness in body, mind, or spirit, if you'd like to lift them up now. Thank you, God, for the new babies that were born to our community. For Jacob Zerker, for Eowyn Harvey, we lift them up and their families as they adjust. God, we pray for all those who um, long for family, that you would be with them equally, God. That you would comfort their hearts and that you would bring new life place the lonely in families. We lift up all these needs to you, Father, and we say, Lord, have mercy. Yes, God, have mercy. Because all your promises are yes and amen. And we lift up our eyes to the hills from whence come our help. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We choose to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All righty, if you can make your way back to your seats. Thank you very much. We have a special announcement before we, um, before we preach the Word of God. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. Uh, Miss Sarah. Uh, she has a thing, a thing to share. She really wanted for you guys to clap for her. She walked up, though. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm reading this. I did write it, <laughs> but I have to read it because my heart's racing. Okay. Deep breaths. Okay. Since you all have known me, I have talked to you about the good life and what it means to live a healthy rhythm that moves us toward the good life. I have spoken about how intentional and disciplined you need to be, the fact that you will always be moving towards something. And if you don't orient your heart to God and the kingdom, you will set off on a course toward the kingdom of this world. There are seasons where orienting your heart and life to the kingdom will look like small tweaks. More silence here, more scripture there, adding a Sabbath, slowing down or detaching. And then there are seasons where big changes are necessary. You need to make hard choices and do brave things in order to move your heart and life toward God and freedom. I have found myself in this latter kind of season. It's time to do the hard thing. It's time to be brave. So for me, this means stepping away from RCC, from church ministry, and pastoring for six months. Since we planted the church, my false self has been pulling my soul at super speed toward a false version of the good life. 
a good life where people are the ultimate goal, where busyness and helping others and getting others to need me and want me is the ultimate goal. Finally, having a place where I could pastor as a woman has been beautiful, but instead of finding freedom in my calling, I found a burden. What should have been sweet turned bitter. The reality of church ministry, that means that people will not always like you, and people should not always need you. My grasping for this has led to a deep, deep weariness, and it's time to rest. Since January, this has been realistically in the works. I've said no to stepping away many times. I've tried to weasel my, my way out of this one. But those closest to me and the spirit were clear. It's time. So I am doing this. And you know why? I would want you to do this. I would want you to do everything it took to know God deeper, to find more freedom, and to be fully alive in your true self. And that's the goal of my time away, to reconnect with God and reconnect with who God created me to be. Our staff and our wise counsel have been incredibly supportive. They're leading and cheering me on. Josh is putting my own health before his. And we are trusting that God will take care of us and our family. I am thankful in advance for your prayers and your grace and your understanding as I have to say no to almost everything for the next six months. And know that when you don't see me and I'm not around, that I miss you and I love you. I'm cheering you on and praying for you. Thank you for praying for you. We're just going to pray over Sarah. If anybody would just come around, we're just going to pray, lay hands on. I'm going to be honest, I didn't see that coming. I don't really know how to move forward. Um... I'm going to move forward anyway. Thanks for being really honest. Man, I didn't, I didn't realize you were going to be that honest. I'm sweaty. <laughs> sweaty. Sweaty guy up here. Um, I'm just going to share a bit. I have two passages I wanted to read you. I still want to read it to you. They have everything to do with the kind of space that you've been giving your father to form you and the kind of space that we don't give our father to form us. It's a very real thing. I can't. I can't scream this loud enough to anybody who knows anything about how we walk with God that we don't give him time to form us. We are very good at forming ourselves into things that are hardened over time and not useful. And that's not something I have to like preach and make you feel bad about. That's just something we all know. Um, so today I'm going to read you these passages and I'm not going to spend a ton of time, and then I'm going to pray that you would set yourself in a space to really allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate you, or to allow our Bible, right, this book to read you, which you don't read the Bible, the Bible reads you. That's, that's a right reading of the scriptures. They inform you on who you are and what you need 
We don't pick it up for the five things we need to learn to make sure we do them. That's actually the wrong way to live. That's what got us here, is teaching about these two or three things, these moments that have to happen. And they're good moments, right? You need to be saved. You need to repent. You need to be forgiven. But then all of a sudden you're left in the wake of like, now I've got to live my life, right? It's not just passing on to the next life. Nancy's not here today, but she shared something with me and Sarah last week. She's doing the C.S. Lewis course right now. Um, It's just great. But she was talking about salvation. And for me, salvation has never been the thing that I point back to a moment, this this moment. Um, And there was a time where I felt sad to say, not even sad, just ashamed to say that. Because most people can be like, I know exactly where I was. It was 2.43 a.m. I walked out of a bar and uh, the car almost hit me and... And you have that story, right? But for me, salvation was definitely over a season. And it makes sense, and she explained this to us, that to be saved is like pregnancy. It's like when the mom is impregnated. There's so many more better words for this. (laughs) The guy who shouldn't talk about this. Um, But... It happens, and then for nine months, you don't see anything. But the baby is growing and growing and growing, and all of a sudden, one day, you give birth. And then you have a baby. It's not a full-grown adult that knows what to do. It's still in process and all the way through. And salvation is like that. Like the Spirit's work within us, previous to even our knowledge of it, is happening. And then one day, you've been given enough to say, Jesus is my Lord. And that is the salvation we are his and we can say it. And then we grow from there. It's formation your whole life. When I was in seminary, they talked about salvation or sozo being a continual thing. We've taught so many times, make sure you're saved, make sure you do this, get baptized. And then we just kind of go back to doing our own life, right? Like there's so much more to it than that. That's why so many of us are broken inside. That's why we can be in ministry and meet all these needs from all these people and deplete completely thoroughly in front of a group of people because we don't understand what it means to be formed by God. So I want to read you two passages, hopefully in the time frame that I need to. Um, If you can pull up Jeremiah, this one's harder. I'm going to read the harder one first. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to do, good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And as beautiful as that was, this becomes less beautiful. That was beautiful. And it is, like that is actually an unbelievable that you, Jen, that you're able to do that. I had no idea that you were that gifted at that. Um, but this is what happens here. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck it up and break down and destroy it, and if the, that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I've intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will, then I will relent of the good. <laughs> I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. 
Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you. Hallelujah. All right, we don't sing that song. Like, that's not coming out anytime soon. Chris Tomlin's not writing that. <laughs> thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. So... This is kind of confusing um, because this isn't the foundation of the Lord we know, right? But this is scripture. It's the Old Testament. It's very real. It's very needed. It's a part of the word. It wasn't replaced by the Old Testament. The New Testament didn't replace it. So there's a couple things I just want you to know, right? The original intent of God for this nation was to give them what they needed. They then decided that they did not want to listen to the Lord. Just like last week when we talked about how they had forgot to tell the story from generation to generation. And God comes in through another prophet and says, you haven't remembered me, you're going to be destroyed. There's a way that which we choose our own will, he allows us to go. And it's like if Jen were to all of a sudden decide to stop using water or whatever to do this, what would happen to that vessel? But a couple things that are important. This is the largest thing I learned from this passage. He's not speaking to one person. Even the beauty of the potter, like we talk about, like we have so many songs written about the potter, going to the potter's house. We go to the potter's church in Scotland. That's where we visit, the potter's church. You, he goes into the potter's house. He sees what's happening. He hears and understands. It's not speaking of an individual. So before you fall in love with another Christian love song about the potter, this is speaking to a nation a whole people, and I love that he gives this massive weighty content to a whole nation to carry, because one person couldn't carry it. One person couldn't carry this, but they have to change. And the thing that they've done is they've stopped listening to their father, and they want to do what they want to do. And so the first thing I just want to share with you about this is that when we feel like we've gotten to a point where life is folding in, or that God's voice is so heavy and this is deconstruction to me. This is what's happening with so, so many people right now. His voice is so heavy and there's no way to redeem it. He's not intending for you to do that on your own. If it's weighty, if it's difficult, he's asking you to bring that into community and talk about it. He's asking you to have other people help you carry that because his original intent was to not destroy the nation. In fact, it talks about as it folds in, Jeremiah notices that the potter starts to form something else. This is actually speaking of the will of God actually shifting for the nation, which is mind-boggling. It's folding in, it becomes a turning point, and if they will listen, if they will create space, if they will remember the God that brought them out of Egypt, he will form them back into what he wants. That's unbelievable. If you fast forward, there is a psalm that I want to read you, and this is, every person in here knows this. I imagine this is, it's so sacred to me at this point. And before I was, I get disappointed in the amount of scripture that is used in pulpits. That's, there's only like a collection of four or five things we would like to preach. But I imagine this passage being spoken in hospital rooms, being prayed over people who are sick, being people's last straw. And it's one that you've all heard, but I'm going to read it to you. This is Psalm 139, 1 through 17. Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. 
You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind me and before me, and you lay your hand upon me. This knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall overcome me, and the light about me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you form me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Has anybody heard this before? Raise your hand if you've heard it a thousand times. I love it. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it's very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet they were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. So this is a very different voice, right? So how do we reconcile this God in the Old Testament through Jeremiah who speaks in a way to say to a people, I'm going to destroy you. And then in a psalm to say, I've loved you before you even had a mind. I was there before you even knew. I was there before you were ever created. I'm always with you. I'm always for you. I'll say the two things that are really important. This is to a singular person. This song is this psalm is written to one individual to know this is the love and the baseline of a father. This is what you have to know. This is what I've been doing. This is what I'll continue doing. This is what I have to do. This is the me that you have to know for anything else to make sense. Which which version of God do you if I were to just say to you, and I don't want anybody speaking out right now, that's not this time. Which version, which voice do you hear spoken to you? When the voice of God comes, is he the God that spoke to Jeremiah through Jeremiah to Israel? Or is he the God that we just read about that's speaking in a tone that anybody would follow? Anybody's going to follow that. If you knew that your maker literally was that, there's nothing that he would ask you that you wouldn't want to do, right? Because you know that he has all of your best interest in mind. He knows everything about you. He knows so much about you, it doesn't even make sense to you, right? So which one of these, so why, why do we have these two? I'll say it like this. There are things that we create that aren't us that are a whole. Nations, churches that do so much damage, that are so selfish, that the voice of a warm father does not bat an eye in that environment. When you speak to injustices, specifically ones that we do in the name of God, when you speak to the things that we've done that have harmed others for the sake of God, being the warm, loving Psalm 139 father doesn't do what needs to be done. When he speaks to the things 
in each of our lives that we've constructed, that we think are keeping us afloat, that are going to destroy us, shame, fear, bitterness, resentment, guilt. He doesn't speak to those things in the Father's loving voice. He says to them, I am going to destroy you. I do not want you existing anymore because he is the loving father of Psalm 139. And he wants those structures that we create, whether we're a nation or a church, to look like the voice of the father in Psalm 139, not what the nation did outside of the will of the father. So he says strong things. So I don't know how to say this. You want the God of Jeremiah to speak into the things that you've created, especially if they're going to harm you, your family, and other people. You want to walk in the loving voice of a father who knows everything about the rest of this day. And not just, he knows everything. Like he, he knows that's the secretest place in your heart. Every bit of it, the nasty stuff, the good stuff. And every one of us, even the most pristine and polished looking person in here has things that if they were just written on a scroll right here, you would take off running. Every one of us. That's how he knows us and he loves us and he's for us and he's not against us. But as a body, when we set ourselves before him, we asked him to examine us, right? Like you can pull up this next part of that passage. We all know this. Search me, O God and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So this Psalm talks about God in such a way where you wouldn't even really need to interact with him, right? Like God loves me. God is always for me, right? Like always for me. He always wants the best for me. I'm not interacting with that and I want the best for me and that must mean that he wants the best for me. He always wants me so much. I don't even really need to interact with him at all. I don't need to create a space like I don't need to have a rhythm that allows me to be with my father. I don't need that, right? Because he's always for me. He's not going to let anything happen to me, right? He's not going to form anything against me. I'm the head and not the tail. I don't know if you guys knew that. I'm actually the head and I'm not the tail, right? I don't have to necessarily look like the Jesus of the scriptures if I know that stuff, but that's not the end, He's asking us to set up a space with the way that we live, like the good life, you can pull that up there, that Sarah talks about, where if we need to step away from what we're doing for six months, we say yes and amen, because he's a good father, and that means he speaks to things like serving every person in your life and says, no more. That is going to destroy you. Step away from it so that you can spend time with me, and each of us have a six-month thing we need. We all need to go on a six-month thing right now, today. You all want to go with me on a six-month thing? You just can't hang out with Sarah the whole time. I'm trying to condense this in like 15-minute form after the prayer. But I do want to just, so like an in route into that. Come to church. We need to be in the house of God. I personally believe that. Like this is where we need to be. We don't need to replace this. Aunt Tramika, before service, she prayed, God, don't let us, what was your prayer? God, don't let us be distracted by mimosas and brunch. Can I get an amen? Amen. Some of you are like, I ain't amen in that. (laughs) You had a mimosa on your way. (laughs) What does it look like for you to be realistic about what it means to not need me to give you a moment so that you don't have to interact with what's happening inside? 
We look for moments because we've been told moments are where it happens. And then we're like, what about these other five days when I feel depressed, anxious, insecure? I don't want to connect with people. I'd rather hide, but then I get my moment, whatever that is. He's not concerned with only moments. Moments are great, but moments are built up over time and it's called like a, a life. I think that's what they, like a, it's you, like your everyday. That's what he wants, right? This picture of Jen doing this is consistent always witness. Emmanuel Jesus, God with us. He inserts himself into our world to be with us, to be with us always, to be intimate with us, to be connected to us, to inform our loves, to reform our loves, because most of us have loves above him. No shame for you, reality. The way that we get that right is creating space to be with our Father. Whether we are saying hallelujah, hallelujah, or dear God, no, dear God, no. Right? He's the God who is with us in the hospital rooms. When we make the mistakes, when I judge you, when you judge me, when you do the dumb thing, when you fail at work, when you succeed, when you get the thing that you've been praying for, it's always, but it doesn't happen if you stay in the same rhythms that you're in. It doesn't happen. You can wait for like a moment that God's going to do it all. He's not going to do it that way because you're a human on a planet that he has put you on. And he didn't accidentally get here. He's like, make sure everybody gets saved. And then everybody just do your best to hide until I come. He didn't do that. He put us here on purpose so that we could be the gospel carriers, so that we could look like the Jesus of Psalm 139, what they're talking about coming, where we could be Emmanuel with this world. And we can't be unformed people who know how to do hallelujah on one day of the week, but have no idea what it means to be discipled, no idea what it means to be spiritually formed, no idea what it looks like to have a spiritual friend, no idea what it looks like to say to somebody, here's what I'm struggling with, I need help, and somebody to say, Thank you for sharing with me. I'll help you. That's what he's asking us to be for a world. That's why what she did is probably the best thing that we have ever had happen here. Because you are seeing true pastoring because she's not usurping herself in the, in the context. She's saying yes to what needs to happen to her. Because she's examined herself with the help of community and said, I need help. And how do I do that? And all of us need help. And how do we do that? There's no way around it. There's not. There's not any way around it. If you're not creating space to be with your father and friendships with God around that content, around what he is and who he is, you are not going to be formed by him. Does that make sense? That's a hard word because we just exist. We have all the money we need, right? Our family only has one car. And, and I act sometimes like we are the poorest family in the world. We have a car, we have a car and a house and a church to meet in. It would just be easy, right, to just kind of skate through. But there's so much more for you and I to come to life in. If the God of the Old Testament that screams through Jeremiah's voice is still so loud for you that you don't even want to interact with him, bring that God into the context of community. You need to talk about it with people. People need to help you carry that. Not one person can carry what the nation of Israel carried. That was not meant for one person. That was meant for a nation to say, change this. And some people in that would stand up and be like, we're changing, we're doing it. There's Jeremiah's here, we'll, we'll do this. And some people are like, no, we're not doing that. But the whole nation had to carry the burden, right? Ooh, good. Sometimes you need a king to speak into your life 
Because he's not just lover Jesus, guys, and I love it, but he's not just lover Jesus that loves you. He's always in a good mood. Like, he's always in a good mood. He's never in a bad mood. He's in a bad mood when people are being abused. He's in a bad mood when people are being killed. He's not happy about that. So we need a king that can speak into that stuff, injustice. We need a king that can speak into the racial tension, the real race issue right now that is happening, that is literally happening, and we're in the midst of it. That's not a fake thing. That's real. We need a king to speak into it. And we need people who are orphaned in the spirit to know that there's a loving father that will do anything to be with them. We need the voice of a king. We need the voice of a shepherd. Which one is speaking to you now? Which one is asking for your hand? There's no version of your life without him forming you that becomes what it needs to become. Where you are fully alive, fully alive in Christ, sons and daughters. So we thank you that you are our king and we don't need to pretend like you're not. You are the God who created everything including us. And we thank you that you're a loving father whom we can sit in your lap and be overwhelmed by how good you are. And we thank you, and I just want you all to close your eyes. The picture I get of this Old Testament pottery is the body of Christ today. It's us. It's this room. It's who we are as a church. It's what we do. And it's as if his hand is forming us and molding us and asking us to be pliable, and asking us to listen, and asking us to follow. Giving us space to hear him. And don't jump on the cynic bus right now and talk about, well, I don't hear God like you. You don't have to. You don't have to hear God like me. But he's speaking to you. Today, he gave you this day. You're breathing and you can hear in this room. We're not in trouble right now. He is speaking to you. He loves you. And so Jesus, you guys can stand. I want to say it like this, and I'm going to close with this. One of my favorite movies is Matrix. I love dystopian movies um, a lot. Any, any dystopian movie for me is great. That's the last clap we've got today for a dystopian movie, so we'll take it. There's a part in it where Neo, if you haven't seen the movie, he is the one who has now entered this new realm, and he's being told to go see the Oracle. And please don't freak out. We're not going to have oracles. It's not that kind of thing. And he's, he was made to go see the Oracle, and he's supposed to hear from that Oracle exactly. He, he's going to hear he's the one. He goes to visit the Oracle. He sits in front of the Oracle, and the Oracle says to him, you're not the one. And it, that literally destroyed me in the movie. I was like, I, I shouldn't even continue to watch this movie. Like, I'm watching the movie because I think Neo is the one and he's gonna do some awesome stuff on the other side of reality and he's not even the one. Like, how does, it really like messed with me. But what was told to him later in the movie is you were told what you needed in that moment to get you where you needed to go. Of course, he is the one. He's not the one. You know what I'm saying? He's not the one, amen? He's the one in the movie. He's the one. He stops bullets. He bends reality. He beats Mr. Smith up like a thousand times. But he's told what he needed to hear so that he can continue to become what he needed to be. 
The voice of God is like that. You're not getting all of it at once. You're going to hear from the Father what you need to hear to get you where you need to go. So I'm praying that kind of prayer over you right now. And worship team, whatever's going to happen with you guys, you can come up. Jesus, we are your sheep, and we want to love to hear your voice. Some of us don't, and there's no shame in that. Because some of us still see you as only the king that Jeremiah spoke about. But that king was pointing people towards a Jesus that was coming, and Jesus would inform it all. So if we only hear you as that angry king, always looking to destroy us, help us to root up that false mindset that you are a God who is always angry with us and always looking to smite us. And help that to be replaced, Jesus, with the voice of how you've loved us through all of the gospels, through all of the epistles, and Psalm 139, as a shepherd, as a potter, as a mother's womb. Help us to see an invitation into a journey that lasts a lifetime. So when we make a mistake, it's not all thrown out because it's not just about a moment. He literally right now is saying, I really want to, I want to spend time with you. I'm going to show you how. I'm going to show you how if you want it. But it will take bravery. You'll have to create space. You'll have to fight the things that you've built right now that are hardening you and collapsing in on you. And for some of you, it's so collapsed in right now, you don't even know where to turn. Just hear that this is like a turning point on a potter's wheel where he begins to reform and it's beautiful and useful. And that's how he sees you. Really quickly, you can open your eyes. Bill, if you can pull up the last two. If you just, I'm, I'm gonna start getting extremely practical with you guys. What are some steps you can actually take to see the formation of God begin to happen? We have small groups. They're not perfect. The leaders are not theologians, but they're groups of Christians that want to help. We have men's gatherings that you'll have to create space for. Do you want a mentor? Raise your hand if you want a mentor in your life. Raise your hand if you want to be a mentor. We just fixed that problem right there. That was easy. Make it happen, one, two, three. What does that mean? Just do something. Call a buddy and be like, can we read the Bible together? Start there. I have many resources, including many here, for you to do together. Spiritual discipline handbook, celebration of discipline, sacred rhythms. Some of it's just stepping into a space that you haven't become familiar with. Spiritual friendship. Gather around Jesus and talk about what he's doing, what he's not doing, what you're struggling with, what you're not struggling with. Covenant group. That's what I want. I want the kind of group that lasts throughout stages of life, that I can call somebody. That happens through the other things coming first, I think. Accountability partner, as dumb as that sounds and as bad as that's been in life, there's really good things about that. Keeping people accountable to their dreams, not just about the sin they've committed, keeping people accountable to who they are in Christ, keeping people accountable to knowing that community does love them. Because we all go away and we're like, they all hate me, they all hate me, they're jerks. And it's a facade, right? Like, no, we do love you. Next, next thing real quick. Women's retreat. Can I get an Amen. All of you got to go now if you said it. Prayer group, Alpha. I lead a prayer group every Thursday night where we go over different disciplines of prayer, like the ABCs. 
Alpha Group, the basics of Christianity every Thursday night downstairs. Spiritual disciplines, read, learn, listen. Say read, learn, listen. Real expectations and aware of the fight. It's not gonna be perfect and there's no ideal community. There's not, there's no ideal life group. There's always the one from two churches ago. Man, I'm just trying to get back to that kind of group, man. We were all in college and like, we had no money. We ate the same like Oreo O's. That was because you all lived in the same house. This is real life where it's hard to have relationship. It's hard, it will take work. People will make you mad. You'll sit in a life group and be like, I don't like any of these people. And then all of a sudden, a year or two later, you have two or three friends that you're like, oh my gosh. It takes effort and energy. You have things you can step into. You have things you can step into. Place your hand over your heart. What I love about Psalm 139 is it, it reminds me of like if I were to step into a house in each room, like if you, if you could step into a house and like the first room is com- be completely known inside and out. And you just step in, you're like, Every, I'm so known in here. And then you step into another room and your future and your past, there's no fear or anxiety about any of them. And step into another room and, and you're being completely taken care of. And step into another room and, and each room is a place where you can depend completely on God. God, with your hand over your hearts, please help my heart to be a place that can create space to be informed about the things that matter. We thank you, Jesus, that you are here with us, forming us, all of the words we say, all of the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, all forming us, gathering around Jesus and the table, all forming us, God. Help us to have more spaces gathered around Jesus and the table with a seat open for everyone in our homes and our cars. Let our spaces be more formative, God. Let our kids see us celebrating in song to a Jesus that they can't see with their eyes. Let our kids hear us praying prayers that take faith. Let our kids see us walk over to someone who's sick and say, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you be healed. Let our kids see us go to the hospitals and the nursing homes and spend time where we don't receive anything back. Help our kids to see us take meals to people who just had babies. Help our kids to be formed by the things that, the awkward long conversations where we don't know how to be open and honest and deal with intimacy. Help us to be a people that says yes to the spaces that truly form us. Help this church to be known as a church who forms and sins and loves and is not selfish in building their own kingdom. If that's what we are, God, I pray that you would fold that clay in. Start over. I thank you for each person in here. And as we go into a time to pray, I pray that the loving hand of the potter and the shepherd and the Holy Spirit who is counselor and wisdom would be here so deeply, intimately stirring our affections informing our loves helping us to hand over everything and helping us to open our hands to take what you have Jesus we thank you in your name we pray Amen Of the goodness of God So I'm going to just pray over you as we go, God. I pray your blessings go before, behind us. Lay your hands upon us. We thank you for every good gift. We thank you that we're alive. Be with us today. Be with our community. We thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.